subjects right now in the church working through the Bible and teaching what the answer is. The video was really simple. I hope you didn't get lost in it. The premise of the video was simple. Atheists and non-believers for a long time have looked at the world and go, man, if there was a God, there wouldn't be all this evil. And since there's evil, therefore there's not a God. Would you know how to argue with someone like that? Would you know what to say to somebody like that? If they said to you, look at all this evil, how could there be a God? Well, the simple solution, as the video said, is how would we even know evil without a God? How would we know the problems of suffering without knowing God? Because it's not logically inconsistent that there's God and evil. As you're going to learn in Genesis chapter 3, guess what? God is still good, and yes, there's still evil, but guess who messed it up in between? We did with our choice. And as he showed you in the video there, God could have made robots, but God didn't. God gave you a choice. So a choice has to have consequences. So why is there evil? Because there's evil people like you and me that make the wrong choice. Now, as we look to Genesis chapter 3, we may say, well, hey, I wasn't Adam. I wasn't Eve. But look at your life. How many sins have you already committed? If you commit one, you're already like Adam and Eve. You've already proved it. And we all know that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if someone shakes their fist at God and says, I don't like all this evil around here, how would you like to be a robot programmed to do what your master told you? Would you like that? Because you would have no more feelings or opinion and nothing to get mad about. See, the very fact that people get mad shows you they have an opinion. And the very fact you have an opinion and you're not a dog sniffing your rear end today is because you're made in the image of God. So there's no problem with the problem of evil if you're a Christian because you have a problem solver named Jesus Christ. So we're going to learn today, oh yeah, there's evil, and oh yeah, there's a good God. No contradiction. The problem is we haven't chosen that God, we have chosen evil. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Rest of you, come on, get there before I show you on the karaoke screen. Some of y'all go to bars. You don't need a karaoke screen to sing some of your favorite songs. You already know them by heart, don't you? What's love? See, y'all know it. Then what's Genesis chapter 3 say then? Come on. You all need to learn the Bible. Get your Bibles out and memorize Scripture like you learned those songs at the karaoke place. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, as you will remember last week when I talked about creation, I actually believe is real. So some people say, how oh, you silly Christians, you believe in a talking snake. Yeah, I do. Who do you think made you talk? God, that's a miracle. Have you thought about it? Well, why don't they talk now? Because they're not demon-possessed by Satan like they were then. Any other questions? You see, when we go to our Bible, we're going to the Christian standard of truth. See, everybody has a worldview that they build their world upon, that they're building their truth upon. Ours comes from the Word of God. And they may say, oh, you Christians, you're so stupid. You build your foundation on the Word of God. Okay, well, what do you build your foundation on, smarty pants? Well, I build it on stuff I know. Have you been wrong before? Your foundation's made of sand. God's never been wrong before. Well, I build it on science. Well, science talks to you like they do on Sesame Street. Hello, my name is Science, S-C-I-N-C-E. I'm science. Science don't say nothing. Scientists do. You trust all of them? You've met every one of them and shook their hands? You know it? And how about what this would say? Does a scientist even know he's doing real science? How do you know he's not a brain in a vat somewhere being worked on by an alien scientist? How do you know you're not in the matrix and everything you're fiddly dinking around right now is a virtual world that they're watching and we're their comedy show? How do you not know that? 
You see, you have no foundation without God. God is the foundation. Now, somebody may say, well, what about all the other gods? Cool. Only gods can give foundations. That's true. But our God is the only God. The Bible says all the other gods are idols. So what do we do? We say, let's get it on. Ding, ding, ding. Bring your book, your God, man in the book versus man in the book. Let's go. Anybody see the McGregor fight? Anybody see the videos after the McGregor fight? People getting knocked out and all that crazy stuff. We're going to knock out Muhammad by the Bible. We'll knock out Joseph Smith in Jesus' name. We'll knock out Harry Christian. Let's go book to man. Bring it right here. Put your foundation right there. We'll go. And in this church, we will talk about their foundations. We'll talk about Islam. We'll talk about Roman Catholicism and the Pope. We'll talk about uh, Hinduism and those kinds of things. So if you're an atheist or a non-believer, you have no foundation. And if you don't like evil, you're just an animal that came from the goo through the zoo to you. So get over it. It's a dog-eat-dog world. But do you got a problem with evil? I think most of us do. You want somebody raping you tonight? You want somebody stealing from you? No, you got problems with evil, don't you? You want crooked politicians? No, so all of us know there's a problem with it, but where's the solution? So if you try to deny there's no God, well, then you're really denying yourself, and you're denying evil all to begin with. Because if there's no God, then there's no you. You're just an animal in motion here today, molecules in motion. So the Christian brings a solution, and we go to our Bible. They make fun of us, but we say, prove it wrong. Because everybody's got a foundation. The person who says, I have no foundations, ask him, is that statement, I have no foundations, a foundation you believe? That's your first foundation. I have no foundations. You just contradicted yourself. I pity the fool. Look at your neighbor and say, I pity the fool. There's a lot of foolish people in the world, aren't they? You know what they say? Nobody can be right. Nobody has all the truth. Is what you just said, nobody can be right, right? Okay, well, then you seem to have the truth to tell us all that nobody else has the truth. Contradicted yourself again. Well, I don't believe there's an absolute truth. Everybody has their own opinion. Is it true that everybody has their own opinion? Yeah. Is that true for everybody? Yeah, then you just made a first truth that's true for everybody, and it's not just an opinion. And let's keep going. Let's keep playing your little mind games. See, it's foolishness. All you have to do is apply the pressure. Somebody say the pressure. Come on, all you got to do is apply the pressure of the world to their worldview, and you'll find out it's sand. Jesus said, the wise man builds his house on my words, and that's like building your house on a rock. It's the foolish person that hears the words of God and builds their house on sand. So let's look to the answer and where evil came from and to the answer of it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, the book. Somebody say, that's what he said. Amen. God spoke it. I believe it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now this book is written by the same author who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's Moses. This is after the fact. So now they're looking back on it and writing history. We now know who the serpent is. At that time, it's a mystery, guys. They hadn't all figured it out. They're learning these concepts as they're being taught to them. We now have the, the benefit of going to the Bible being like, oh, yeah, I know the serpent is. That's the devil. But they didn't know that. They would have to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then they would have to read Joshua and Judges, and then wait some more, and then hear some prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel. Now, the serpent is there, but the Bible says he's created by God, but yet he starts to talk. So now we got a problem because we don't see talking snakes. And how many want to be scientific? I believe in science. I believe in God and the, the Bible. Come on, I believe in God and science. I believe in God and logic. I believe in all those things. So what do we know is happening right here? Is that some people who's already gone ahead and know the devil's here, 
They say now the devil appears as a snake. That's not true. Look at what it says. He was made by God. The Lord God had made him. He was a crafty serpent. So now they say, well, snakes talks. No, it's both and. Satan possessed a real snake. He possessed a real snake. Somebody say a real snake. Thank you. Well, you see the links right there? I got two articles on a real snake talking in the garden and why the devil did that. And I have some scriptures next to it. He then said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, notice he's a liar. He's a liar, and he says, did not God say you couldn't eat from any tree here? That's not what God said. God said the exact opposite. You could eat from all the trees here, but just not this tree. Now we got a question to ask. Where did this serpent even come from? Why is this person now trying to get us to go against God? When we learn in Genesis chapter 1, God made the heavens and the earth. On day 1, when he made light, he also made angels. Angels are not eternal beings. Angels were created on day 1. So between day 1 and whatever this day is, Satan has already fallen. We now look at the revelation of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus said, I watched that joker fall like lightning from heaven. Now, we know that the devil's there to tempt us and eventually we'll give in to it. But who was there to tempt the devil when he was in heaven? The Bible doesn't tell us, but it must be the same way we had a choice, he had a choice. And probably the choice he was given was stay here, worship me, or go worship yourself and do your own thing. He chose to worship himself and do his own thing, and he took a third out of all the angels of heaven to go with him. We must assume that he was then assigned to this tree to be there as for our temptation. Now, once again, some of you all may say, I don't like that. Why did God allow that to happen if he knew we were all going to fall? Remember, we are free will creatures. And you don't have real free will unless you've got a choice. God just can't put you in a place of all vegetables and say, now make a choice to eat healthy all the time. Are you listening? God's got to put you in a place for some, some pizza and some burritos and all these other things and say, now make your choice. So God gave us a choice. He said, listen, and you could tell how much he wanted us to make the right choice. He said, all of these things in the garden are the right choice. This one is the wrong choice. And where were they hanging out? <laughs> hey, where were you hanging out last night? <laughs> Hello? They were hanging out right at the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. Mm, oh, man, that looks good. I may want it. And now they hear the temptation. Notice this. Jesus can't make you do what you don't want to do. And guess what? The devil can't make you do what you don't want to do either. Here you see the choice of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And it's not the snake grabbing a hold of them, wrestling them down, and now the snake's got them by the throat. And the snake's bringing them in. And there goes the fruit. Chomp, chomp. No, no, no. They walk over and make a decision. Those who are in hell are there because they chose it. Those who go to heaven are there because they chose it. If you want to know the determining factor between you going to heaven or you going to hell, look at the mirror. And the person looking back at you, that's the determiner factor. That's the determiner. You determine it. So now he speaks, and notice he tells lies. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, correcting his lie, we may eat from the trees, plural, in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So she re recanted the command. So it's not like some people try to paint it. Oh, poor Adam and Eve. Maybe they didn't understand, you know. Maybe it's like sometimes I leave a note for my kids and they play it off. They didn't understand what clean and room meant. They thought I was talking hyperbole or something. No, she actually says it right back to the serpent. We know the real command. You lying to us. Why was he trying to lie to them right off the beginning? Because he wanted them to think, you know what? 
if God said you could eat from all of them but not this one, maybe he's hiding something from you. That's why he tried to over-exaggerate and say, you know, God said not to eat from all of them because he wanted to put it in their head, you're being oppressed. You're being held back. And isn't that what the devil tells us today? All these commands are going to hold you back. God said you could never have sex again. Isn't that what he tells you? The devil comes to you. So you'll never have somebody who loves you. You'll be alone the rest of your life. And then he says, but go back to that baby, mom. Go back to that boo. Go back over here. See, what's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to think that it's only only going to work if you do it his way. Now, man, I stopped having sex for 10 years, but the last 13 years, I've been having the best sex of my life because I got married. Got six kids to prove it. Come on. That's the other chapter, be fruitful and multiply. So he always tries to paint that you'll never have any friends again. You're going to be broke the rest of your life. You know, when God tells you to quit that job or leave that person, he tries to paint this picture. It's all bad from here, folks. And she corrects him, and she goes, no, 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 he didn't say that. God said he, we could eat from all these trees. It was just this one. And when we do this one, we die. That's the penalty, death. Verse 4, now he lies again. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Skipping ahead in the story, we know that that's partly true. That we were meant to know good from evil like God. God has always known good from evil. Knowing about evil is not the same thing as being evil. Y'all can think of some evil stuff right now, but it doesn't make you evil. You can think of the Nazi Holocaust. doesn't make you evil. Now, if you think about it, desire it, yeah, that makes you evil. I want to do another Nazi Holocaust. You crazy. You evil, right? But if you just think about evil, God has always known good and evil, and God wanted to teach us good and evil, but God gave us a choice. I can teach you. I will be the judge. I will show you black and white, good and evil all day long, or you go over here, do it yourself, and die. And that was tempting to us. And so now the woman, look at what the three things she's going to deal with. With 1 John chapter 2 talks about lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. All sin comes from these three things, and it started at day one. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food. When I saw that girl, and she was good to have sex with. When I saw that money was good to keep back and not tithe off of. When I saw that this job would take me from church and give me more. When I saw that thing and wanted it. That's right there, the lust of your flesh and your eyes looking at it and saying in your heart, I want it and also desirable for gaining wisdom, meaning I can do this on my own and still make it. See, I'm not worried about you today being Satanist. I'm worried about y'all becoming Oprah Winfrey. Because Satanism is obviously evil. You look at that and you're like, oh, man, that's, that's satanic. You look at Oprah and say, look how smart she is. Never had to marry Stedman, but mm, has Stedman took care of her? She didn't have to give to the church, but she's a billionaire. She didn't have to keep the code of the Bible, and she looks happy. She's spiritual. See, that's real Satanism right there. That's real Satan. Satanism is what Adam and Eve were falling for, right? Because that's Satan talking, isn't it? He didn't come with pitchforks. He didn't come with sacrificing your children and some horror movie. He said, it looks good, feels good, and it's smart, isn't it? You're going to gain knowledge out of this. And the woman took it and ate some. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then both of their eyes were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Two things we learn in this verse is that they must have been covered in something if they never knew they were naked. What were they covered in? 
We assume it was the glory of God, the presence of God. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, at the end of the book, we get clothed in white. And that's not talking about white wool or white linen. We get clothed again in the glory of God. When Jesus was on the earth, he gave us a little peek of what that glory looked like on the mountain of transfiguration. He transformed into his pre-incarnate or pre-flesh image. And the image was white and glorious. They must have been shining bright like a star, like the sun. And the moment they ate that, that, that forbidden fruit that died, it was separated. And they said, whoa, what is this? And looked at a naked body. And some of us wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say the same thing. What is this? Let's be honest. Not all of us look in the mirror and flex. Some of us like, ooh, I ain't ready to deal with you yet going into the shower. Oh, kind of, sort of, what's going on with me? And the older you get, the droopier you get, slower you get, tired you get. See, flesh has been uncovered ever since. And what did they do here? Second thing is they try to take fig leaves and cover themselves. And we've been doing that ever since then. We've been trying to replace, think about this, the glory of God with things just like figs. We try to replace the glory of God with our relationships. We try to replace a relationship with God with our education. Try to replace the image of God and all the beauty that he's given us with Little fig leaves that don't really matter, do they? And then man and his wife, watch this, verse 8, heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So this must have been a habit. We don't know when this day come, but we know they were there for a while because they were developing a relationship with God. But this time when they hear God walking, instead of running to God, they run from God. I wonder if that's why we don't have a line wrapped around here like they do just to get bagels in some places or desserts in other places and to get them tickets for the movie. I wonder why, this is probably the reason why you all don't have to fight to get in here today, is people are running from God instead of running to God. If you knew what was happening in this church today, there wouldn't be room for any of us in this place. This place would have been packed out at 6 a.m. if we knew the God that we're worshiping here. But people still, maybe he won't see us. He created the tree we're hiding behind, dummy. I think he'll see us. We got fig leaves. Maybe, maybe he won't. Y'all don't see me, do you? They tried to hide from God. Now, how many know if God asks a question, he already knows it? Because the Bible says he called to man, where are you? It had nothing to do with God like GPSing them. What he was really asking them was, do you know where you are? Because you're in my world and you just sinned against me. I own this place. Do you know where you are? How many parents got to remind their kids every now and then? Do you know whose house this is? How many know the parent already knows the answer? We already know the answer, but we're just reminding somebody. Do you know whose house this is? God is saying, do you know where you are? Because people don't know where they are anymore. I was preaching on Madison and Pulaski yesterday, drug dealers all in front of me, crack addicts all around me, people doing their business as usual. And you would think that everybody forgot this used to be the Garden of Eden. But now all we see is concrete jungle. All we see is sin and despair. And it's like God is still shouting out to us, hey, do you know where you are? Do you know who put that sky there for you? Do you know why your lungs breathe in air? Do you know why you love and have emotions? You are here for a purpose. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, 
And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so just like Adam back then, we are all hearing the voice of God, every single person. If you have a conscience and you can hear yourself as I am talking right now, you can hear God. I don't care how much we try to suppress it like a child in a pool. I don't got the ball. I don't got the ball. And the whole time they're holding it down and boop, pops up. I don't care how many times people say, I don't believe in a God. I don't see God. I don't feel God. They are suppressing the knowledge of God and, and, and ignoring the knocking on the door. He said, I heard you and I was afraid because I was naked. Do you know that right now we understand where fear comes from? Fear comes from our sense of disconnection from God. You worry because you don't think God cares about you like he does a, a, a sparrow. We deal with more anxiety and depression than we ever have before. They say now depression medication is the most used medication in the entire planet. And yet we have more than every generation has ever had. You know more than you've ever known. You can call up an ambulance like this, and yet people go to bed afraid. People go to bed scared. People go to bed not knowing people. you more connected than you've ever been, and you feel so disconnected. He was afraid. He hid. And now watch this. He said, God speaks to him. He says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And at this moment, for the first time, man now becomes his worst enemy. Because it doesn't say the devil looked at him and go, look at you. You're naked. I tricked you. You just silly little person. No, how does he now know he's naked? And then number two, why does he feel bad about being naked? It's because once we were created, our soul, which is our mind, was connected to our fleshly brain like this. But now the brain, the flesh, and the spirit are at war with one another. That's why on the inside of you, you feel that battle all the time. And Jesus, when he came into the flesh, he was about ready to go to the cross. He identified with it. He said, my flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing. And at that moment, anguish began to come. And from that day forward, we've been telling ourselves things that may be true, but we use that information to condemn ourselves. You may not have a job, that's true, but you'll tell yourself, I'm a loser. I'm not as good as everybody else. You may be struggling right now with a relationship, but you'll say, oh, this relationship's over. I got to have a divorce. Why do we become our worst enemies? It's because now we're separated in our minds from God, and our brains will lie to us. And guess what? Your brain goes to the dust of the earth, but your mind is a part of your soul. How many know you think when you're in heaven? Do you think with the brain you got now? No, because that brain is just a temporary vessel you use. Just like how we have people playing the keyboard here, they can take away this keyboard, but the dude can still play. Because where's the skill, in the keyboard or in the person? Where is your soul, in that brain that goes to the grave, that's an organ that can have surgery? Or is your personhood in your soul, in your mind, that lives on after your brain? See, he says, look, man, who told you that? Now look what happens. Then the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit with the tree and I ate it. There's your first marital spout right there. And listen to me, dudes, it's still happening today. You talk to guys about their marriage, what's the problem? They point to the woman every single time. That doesn't fly with God. God does not buy that. Men are responsible to cover and care for their wives. You cannot put it on your wife. Even if your wife's doing wrong, husbands, you are to care for them and treat them with honor and dignity. And I'll tell your value, not by the car you drive, sir, not by the shoes you wear or the job you have. I'll tell your value by the look on your wife's face. So if your wife don't like life, it's because you're not doing a good job of being a husband. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done, woman? The serpent deceived me. Now she puts it on the devil. 
But even, she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. But how many know he didn't force it? How many know it was still her choice? Now the curses come. Somebody say, make it plain. Here come the curses. You want to know where the problem of evil came from? Here it is. Go right back to the beginning. He says to the serpent, because he was possessed by the devil, he says, you're going to crawl on your belly and be cursed above all the livestock, and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. Some people now think that the serpent at this point was walking on legs, and then he was like a lizard. Now he became a snake. I don't believe that. You look at Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25. It says, all the other animals get blessed in the kingdom to come, but the serpent, he's still going to be eating dust. Look at it. Because when we get restored back into the Garden of Eden, when Jesus comes back, the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. How many know he created them first vegetarian, and then they became meat eaters afterward. But now look at this. The dust will still be the serpent's food. So he just said, even in the kingdom to come, when we look at serpents slithering around, get, putting their tongue into the dust, we'll be reminded of the curse that Jesus took for us. He says, I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Now watch this, guys. This is 4,000 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. You think this is Nostradamus type stuff? Nostradamus looks like he's playing make-believe compared to this. Moses writes this down thousands of years before Jesus will ever come. He says, hey, serpent, your offspring... Now we know it's not just talking about an actual serpent. We know it gets spiritual here. Your offspring and the woman's offspring are going to be at war with each other. But her offspring will crush your head. But now get this. When this offspring, when this man, this Messiah, this chosen one comes and stomps on your head, you're going to strike his heel. What do you see in the cross, people? Go to John chapter 3, verse 14. How many know John 3.16? Raise your hand if you know John 3.16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Look at John 3.14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, what did he lift up? A snake. So the Son of Man will be lifted up that everyone who believes on him will have eternal life. So now watch this. Moses is writing the historical account in the book of Genesis. And then there's a time with Moses where there's a disease among the people. And God tells him, take a wooden stick, put a snake on it, hold it up. And whoever looks to it and believes in my power will be healed. And that happens. And then another couple thousand years later, Jesus comes and says, hey, you remember when there was a snake lifted up? And everybody got healed, that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take on the snake's venom. I'm going to take on all the evil. And when I be lifted up on that cross, if you look to me, I'll heal you like they were healed then. But he'll have to pay the penalty while he's there, won't he, on the cross. The serpent will strike him because he has to die as a sacrifice. Jesus came to be the serpent crusher. So what do we see right now? There's a problem with evil, and the problem's because of us. That means if God would have started over and said, okay, get rid of Adam, let's go Aldrin. Your turn now, Aldrin would have sinned. Okay, let's go Ricky now. Ricky would have sinned. The whole entire human race, the Bible says, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what did God do? He so loved the world, he sent his son to fix the problem. Now people say... 
In Matthew, it says Jesus receives. He says, now I got all authority in heaven and in earth. Go make disciples. And people say, man, if he was God, why did he have to receive authority? Didn't he already have it? Yeah, but we lost it as humans. We had the dominion, and when we lost it, devil set up all of his dominion and power here. So what did God do? He became a man to do what men couldn't do, to get back the authority we had lost so that in his name we can conquer and bring forth his kingdom. And guess what? That's what we're doing right now, and it still remains. We can't force anybody to choose God, and the devil can't make him go to hell either. So he says, there's going to be a war between your offspring and hers, but he's going to crush your head, but you'll strike his heel. Somebody say the cross. Amen. Then he says to the woman, I'm going to make pain in your childbearing very severe, and with painful labor, you will give birth to children. And all the mothers said amen. Amen. You know that's true. That's where it came from. Childbearing was going to be beautiful and not have any pain, but now it's painful. Now watch this right here. You want to know why? Why most women aren't satisfied unless they're with a man? Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. You want to know at that moment why women and men did not become equal in strength anymore? Even to this day, you take an average man, an average woman. I'm not talking like a Ronda Rousey who can beat up everybody here. I'm just talking an average man, an average woman. Just look to most couples. My, my life, her life. I could crush Nancy, right? Look, most husbands, you know, Ricky, Rachel, crush them. Why did that happen? Women bore the curse of a genetic now lesser than man in strength. Not in wisdom, not in ability, but you look at it's been proved all through the world. Not that women can't be leaders. We believe in all that. But here's the thing. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. So, yes, it is true in that sense that women, you live in a man's world according to that curse. You may not like it, but get mad at Eve for eating that fruit then. Now, I know women can fly jets and all of that, but I'm just talking. You take an average woman, an average man, and now say, one of you is walking out of here alive. If we did that to the whole human race, how many women will be left? And then if we said, now we'll take the strongest of them, who's going to be left? It will just be a man. It will be men. Men were there meant to protect the women and care for the women. Treating them as equals, yes, equally made in the, wor- the will of God. Absolutely, we are equal, created in the will of God. But a part of that curse would be when you have children, it's going to hurt like hell right now. You're going to feel a pain of hell. That's what it is. Seriously, you're going to feel what hell feels like. So you don't like, you don't like childbirth, ladies. You don't like being in labor. Don't go to hell because that's what hell feels like for eternity. Hey, can I get an amen? And then listen, don't let your flesh pick the wrong husband to protect you and care for you. And you say, well, I'm an independent woman. I don't need all of that. Well, that's fine. Stay lonely and all by yourself with cats then. That's okay. But if you want to find that need for security, because how many women know naturally you have a need for security and naturally men have a need to provide and to provide security, not necessarily money, but provide security. I think both can come, but women can make more than men. You guys get my point. But the men providing security. And guess what? That's reinforced in Ephesians chapter 5. That's why it says women submit to your husbands. And how many things? All things. So I'm not making it up. In the New Testament, it carries over. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Why is that now the order of the house? For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Why is that now in place? Because of the curse. It will remain until Jesus comes back. Can I hear an amen if you believe the Bible? Amen. To Adam, he said, now watch what's going to happen here. Adam, this is what he, so, so women, this is what happened to you. You had a pain in childbirth, and you're going to have a desire to have a husband. Now watch what Adam brought. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. And we got to understand this. God basically said, I'm cursing the entire physical universe because of you. 
Why is it now that there are things on this earth that cause disease to us, make genetic mutations in our body because of Adam's sin? Why is it now tsunamis happen, earthquakes happen, natural disasters happen because the earth is cursed because of Adam's sin? So yeah, women, you, you brought some pain to the earth because of that, but men basically cursed the entire earth. So I think you can still be mad at us if you want, but please forgive us, right? So now what's the deal? So anytime, let's just pause, let's just think about it for a minute. Do we have any confusion about evil in this world? So l- let me just ask you a question. Why is there natural disaster in the world? Because of Adam and Eve's sin. Why are people born sick? Because we're not clothed with the glory of God. Our DNA is away from him now. We're separated. Why is there wicked people doing wicked things? Why do we read in the next chapter that Cain kills his own brother Abel? Is there any confusion? No, because we sin. So when people talk to me like all deep, like, Pastor, if God knew we were going to sin, like, why did he make us? And then, and then if we go to hell and he knew I was going to go to hell, why should I even try? Listen to me, dummy. God gave you a choice. It's up to you what you do now. Well, I wish I didn't have a choice. I wish I didn't have a choice. Okay, well, then if you wish you didn't have a choice, lobotomize yourself and become my puppet slash robot. Let's get real. There's evil in the world because there's wicked people making wicked choices. There's natural disaster here because we ruined the Garden of Eden. So when I hear about Christians going like, man, I was a Christian, and then I saw like the evil of the world, and then I decided not to be a Christian anymore, my question is, do you think there's still evil in the world? Because did that just go away because you're not a Christian anymore? Does this saying, I don't believe in God, does that change people acting like animals? Absolutely not. You playing make-believe, jumping off a building, saying, I don't believe in gravity, won't stop your stupid self from squashing on the ground. You saying as a fool, I don't believe in God because of evil. Don't stop a Hitler. So if there's no God, how is Hitler, how is Hitler bad? Tell me one reason if there's no God, why my Mussolini was bad, why all these dictators are bad. One dog got to rule them all, y'all. One person got to be in charge. Why is that gangbanger shooting up a house evil then? If you choose not to believe in God, you choose not to believe in anything. Truly, you give up your sanity. To disbelieve in God is insane. We know there's evil. How many see evil in the world? I had one of my friends, he lost his daughter in a stillbirth, stopped serving God because his baby died in his wife's arms. You think he gets an excuse? You think God now says to him, man, I feel sorry for you. Man, you disbelieved in me because you went through that. Come on into heaven. God's going to say, you fool. You saw death. You saw destruction. And your solution was to disbelieve in the God who made this universe. You fool. I've been molested, pastor. I've been raped, pastor. That better draw you to your knees to cry out for help in a world full of evil and say, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see hell on earth and you disbelieve in God? That is the way of a fool. And I say that because I love you. I say that because I don't want you to be deceived by stupidity. There's evil. We know it. And the reason why we know it is because we're all descendants of the ones who brought it. And now we know enough about evil to know it's not right. And we know enough about good to know we want more of it. But we don't know how to get it. And that's why Jesus came. Can I hear somebody say Jesus? 
Thank you. So the whole ground's going to be cursed. It's going to produce thistles and thorns, and you'll eat plants of the field. Talk to a farmer and see how hard it is. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you'll return. There's only one race, the human race, and now we argue about the color of our dirt. Well, your dirt's darker than my dirt. My dirt's lighter than your dirt. My dirt's lighter than your dirt, but I'm going to go to a place that tans my dirt to make it just as dark as your dirt. That's crazy. Yeah, but I like it. And I've done it, by the way. I used to love tanning beds. Yes, I was that guy going to the gym tanning. Some of you are like, yeah, I can see that. I totally see this dude doing that. Thank you. Yeah, we arguing over dirt now. Arguing over dirt. The Bible says we came from one race, the human race. Jesus died for us, loved the whole world. And now we're trying to dress up this dirt, cut this dirt off and put other parts of dirt in there like we're Play-Doh. I was born a man, but I feel like being a woman. Okay, cut this dirt off, put that dirt here. We're playing Play-Doh. And God is looking at us going, do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? Adam named his wife Eve, which means the mother of all living things. Here we see the death of the first thing. God kills an animal to now give us skin as clothes so that we can be clothed no more just with the, the fig leaves. We can have on some real clothes like some leather, you know. And at this moment, we began to probably look over at Weber. What was the name of the little pig from uh, Scarlet's, um, Scarlet's Web? Charlotte's Web? Wilbur. Now all of a sudden we start looking at Wilbur. Before we were cool with Wilbur. We were all vegetarians. But after this, we look over at Wilbur and like, man, you'd be looking good, Wilbur. <laughs> Wilbur, come on. I want to make some bacon, some lechon. Come over here, Wilbur. Cow. We like looking at the cow. Come here, man. Let me try you. From that point on, we started eating the animals. We go back to being vegetarians, but we started eating the animals. God makes the first sacrifice. Now watch this. This is why I told you the devil didn't tell all lies. He knows how to take partial truth and mix it with lies. All you need is a little strychnine with rat poison. You've heard that before. The Lord God said, watch what he says. Now man has become like one of us. Notice the one of us. We know for sure. Those of you who weren't here, we talked about the Trinity. We know the triune God is mentioned here because the one of us is not like an angel and God ain't talking to himself. We are now like the Father, Son, and the Spirit. One of us. God is the Father, Son, Spirit. He is now like one of us. How how are we now like God? Because now we know good and evil. But how are we now not like God? We're like the devil because now we make the decision of good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. If we would have taken the tree of life after the moment we had taken from the knowledge of good and evil, we would have brought hell on earth. Can I tell you something? The curse of death is a gift to your spirit so you can be freed from this body and be brought to God's presence. The reason why the world don't want to die is because they don't want to face their creator. That's why Michael Jackson wanted to put himself in some container. Are you listening? They want to freeze their bodies because they are afraid of death. They're afraid to lose this body. But for the Christian, we are not afraid of death because we know this thing jacked up anyways. And if you don't think you jacked up, just look at your neighbor's nose right now and know yours is worst, okay? We all got messed up noses, messed up face. We make fun of each other all the time. And the Bible says it like this. You weren't meant to live with a big nose and, and, and acne and all of this. And so instead of fearing death, we're supposed to look at death as our upgrade. But the reason why they fear death and do all this plastic surgery is because they idolize their flesh. Don't let them live forever, otherwise hell will come on earth. Look at verses 23 and onward. 
So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which they had been taken. After he drove them out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim. Cherub is singular. Cherubim is plural. This is plural of these guys out there and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is why some people like Cortez and explorers thought there was still a tree of life or a fountain of life out there. God did this only temporarily. He didn't leave it out there for long. And cherubim are the ones with angels. People think angels have wings. Angels do not have wings. Michael, uh, Gabriel, Satan himself was an angel at one time. These beings do not have angels. They look like us. They are made like us, but they are not uh, given a second chance. Angels don't get a second chance. They are now cursed forever, so be thankful Jesus came to be a man and not an angel. Otherwise, you'd be going to hell, okay? But listen. Cherubim have two wings. They are, these are the creatures that God said to put on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Their two wings touch each other, and it's symbolic of the fountain of life, the things of life that was given to Moses when the Ark of the Covenant was given. He said, put two cherubim on top. And then we see in the book of Revelation that the cherubim are there in the throne with the river of life. So everything we lost in the garden that was prophesied in the law, we get in Jesus in the end. And the seraphim are the ones with six wings, and they fly around Jesus, just in case you wanted to know. Now you want to know where the devil goes? Everybody say, show me. I want to show you where the devil goes. Go to the end of the, the book, Matthew chapter 25, uh, into Matthew. At the end of Matthew, Jesus tells us where the devil's going. He doesn't have a choice. It's already been made for him. His choice was to decide whether or not he would live for God. And as my parents taught me, you can make your choices, but not your consequences. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 25 and 41. It says, then he will say to the left, these are the people who stay under the curse and are not born again. Depart from me, you who are what? Cursed. What did we get done to us in Genesis chapter 3 by God? We were what? Cursed. So if you're not born again, you are automatically under the curse. There are no neutral grounds here. If you are not born again, you're automatically under the curse. Now watch this. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. How long does that fire last? Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that means, track with me, whenever the devil fell, God said, I got a hell waiting for you. And when we loosed the devil from that tree to rule over the earth, when we loosed him to do that, that bought him more time. And now we decide, do we go to the hell prepared for him or the heaven prepared for us? You all get that? Somebody put that on Facebook. Your choice, go to the hell prepared for the devil or to the heaven that God prepared for you. Hell was not made for you. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. It is now your choice which way you want to go. It is against, look at me please, it is against your created nature to go to hell with the devil. You don't belong there. That is not, it was not made for you originally. It was meant to torture high angelic beings. That's why it will hurt like hell to be there. Now somebody might say, Pastor, you're scaring the hell out of me. How many know that's a good thing? Because I don't want you to go there. Live for Jesus. Can I hear an Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, that was the introduction. Amen. I got to get to the words. You got some more time? Let's go. Okay, now let me tell you the results of the fall. Take a stretch and let me go there quickly because we got to learn. We just can't just hear one story and just go on from it. We got to see how it applies to the rest of the Bible because remember, we've got the New and the Old Testament. Now we can look back on the Old Testament through the eyes of Jesus. Everybody say, be cross-eyed. See, whenever you look at the Old Testament, how do you see it? Through the eyes of Jesus. Now, now what was once concealed is revealed. So what do we know happened in that garden? We lost the glory of God. We lost the righteousness. What do we get in Jesus? Glory. What do we get in Jesus? 
righteousness. What did we get upon us in our emotions there? What do we get? Emotional anguish. What do we now have with Jesus? Peace. He says, I'm the prince of peace. We lost our ability to enjoy childbirth, and we were out of order in our families and started arguing and fighting. What does God give us now? He gives us promise that the pain will go away and that our families can be in order and not be fighting and trying to hurt each other and brothers killing brothers. What did we lose there? We lost the joy of work. We lost the joy of having a peaceful universe to be, be in. What does Jesus bring us? A purpose in our work. We don't live for our job. We don't live for our job. We live for Jesus, and we do our job unto Jesus. Amen? And we look forward to the restoration of this universe, a new heavens and a new earth. Adam and Eve brought us physical death. We're all dying. Here's the thing about life. You can't get out if you're alive. Does everybody know that? How many know you're not leaving this planet alive, okay? But guess what? Jesus rose from the dead. Why do you think Jesus rose from the dead? He's more than just a sacrifice for the bad things we've done. He's also the restoration of what we lost. So when he rose from the dead, what does that mean for us? We become like him in resurrection. We lost the knowledge of good and evil from God teaching us to us knowing it ourselves. And now we have to come back to Christ and have it restored. Go to Ephesians, uh, rather Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. I want you to see, you want to know what a mature Christian looks like? A mature Christian is not somebody who just knows the four horsemen of the apocalypse or gets all deep with you. Can I show you what it looks like? Somebody say, show me. Here it is. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word over again. You need milk, not solid food. Some of y'all been in 101 for three years. You need to get off the, the bottle and get into the meat. Y'all should be teachers by now. Some of y'all been coming to church too long. You need to get off that milk and get you some meat now. Man up. Woman up. Your pastor said it. Now do it. Amen. Come on. God said it. Now do it. How about that? Y'all should be teachers, but y'all still in elementary school. You pulling up to elementary school in your car. You coming out with your beard. Y'all been in church for years. Come on. Man up. Woman up. You need milk, not solid food, because you're still a baby. Now, here's what the Bible tells you. You're a baby if you act like this. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. That's how you know you've grown. You know the teachings about righteousness. You don't look at Caitlyn Jenner and get confused. I understand what's right and wrong about this. You don't look at Oprah and get confused. You don't look at Harvey and get confused. Guy's on what, his fourth marriage, and now he writes a book about merit? You ain't confused. Come on, somebody. You're not confused about Donald Trump. You're not confused about Hillary Clinton, are you? You grow up, and you know righteousness, and now you're ready for solid food. It's for the mature. And how do you know you're mature? You have constant use, have trained yourself to distinguish between good from evil. So what Adam and Eve lost and we got cursed with, Jesus gives you back. It says, okay, grow up now. Know the difference. Some of y'all 40 years old don't know the difference. Still living with somebody you're not married to. Don't know the difference. Stupid is as stupid does. That's what the famous theologian said. Forrest Gump. Some of y'all teenagers grew up with single parents and you still having sex outside of marriage. What you think? It ain't going to be the same for you? Come on. Some of y'all live most of your life, like me, most of your life without Jesus, and then now you tempted to go back to that life. What are you thinking? Did you, did you not go to the right club? You thought there was one club that maybe you forgot you got to go back to right now and go find something you missed? I'll go there with you. Come on, just tell me that club you want to go. I'll go there with you sober, and we'll laugh at them. Look at this one right here. Look at this one right here. You know when you go there sober, you see it differently. Can I hear an Amen. I'm telling you the truth. 
I'm telling you, some of y'all want to go back, and the Bible literally says like a dog going back to vomit. The Bible says like a pig going back to the mud. Y'all, we better grow up. Don't ever let me go back to my stupidity. How many of you just think of it? It looks stupid when a pastor does it, but put yourself in my shoes for a minute. What do you think it would look like I put on Facebook, leaving my wife, hanging with my boys, got a new girlfriend? Would anybody here look at that and be like, that is so cool? Now, what if I did that and like I'm on a yacht in Miami, Maine? It's nice weather here. I got my shirt off and my selfie, you know, this, these topless dudes trying to get chicks like that. Would you really look at me? I don't, what if I had a million dollars? Would you really look at me and say, man, Pastor made the right decision? He looks so much more happier now. He's not home with his kids. He's having sex. He has a lot of money. Wow, that's great for him. That's how I look at y'all when I see your Facebook. That's how I look at you when I see your Facebook. I look at stupid is as stupid does. Y'all know better than this. You know better than that boyfriend. You know better than that girlfriend. You know better than to let that job change you like that. You know better. Where are you is what God is saying. Do you know where you are? I would love for God to speak to people in Miami right now, taking their vacations, making us all feel bad up here, you know. I'd love for God just to say, <clears throat> excuse me, do y'all know where you are on this yacht? Y'all know who made this ocean? Y'all, y'all can just breathe and y'all be done. Done. We forget who our God is and where we are. He made this place called earth. Let's treat it right and treat ourselves right and our neighbors right. Amen. We got separated from God, but Jesus brings us close. We lost our spiritual dominion, but Jesus now made us more than conquerors. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. I'm about ready to close. I was just teasing with you guys. But look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible says here, you know, put on the full armor of the Lord. God gave us armor now to fight the devil, to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood i don't care how mad we get at the politicians how mad we get at that molester how mad we get at people yeah they did it wrong and that's on them but our real struggle is against the rulers the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces in heavenly places it's about time the devil gets his butt whooped are you all listening to me it's about time we knock him out some of y'all afraid of what makes noises in the night. Y'all need to jump out of bed and say, oh, it's you again, devil? Show yourself right now so I can kick you out this house. Some of y'all running like cowards, but somebody needs to be like a David in this place. David says, show me where he's at. Just show me while he's right there. Come on, Goliath. Knock him out. Let's go. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Our battle is against these ones who deceived our ancestors. And now through Jesus, we got power. That's why I'm not on drugs anymore. That's why you're not out your mind anymore. That's why we have a girl confessing she's not a homosexual anymore. That's why we have gangbangers give their lives to Jesus here and they don't gangbang anymore. Everybody needs to fight that battle with the power of Jesus. So, yeah, is there a problem with evil? Absolutely. I'm not denying it, but I know there's a problem solver and his name is Jesus. And he wins every single time. Now, for your own study as we get ready to close out. Y'all got three ways to understand evil in the world. The fall we read about, as I told you, I could keep going. We could read about the flood of Noah. Let me just show this to you. Within six chapters of our Bible, God says, I'm done with y'all. I'm going to destroy the whole world. So when I hear about Christians getting discouraged because they see evil in the world, I understand it hurts us. Don't get me wrong. It hurts. Real life hurts. I get it. But if that makes you doubt God, that is stupid. 
Real life hurting should make you want to go to Dr. Jesus to be fixed. If you, come on somebody, if somebody injected you with AIDS, are you going to now ask them for the cure? If the devil slapped you in the head, you're going to ask him now to give you some ice for your black eye or something? Why are we running from God? Because we ashamed, aren't we? But the Bible says, come as you are, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you, and you shall find rest for your soul. What does Psalm 23 say? For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and staff they comfort me thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies you anointest my head with oil you fill my cup with goodness and I good surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever that's how we face the problems of this world can I hear an amen what scripture was I going to oh the fall of no go to Genesis chapter 6 somebody say make it plain you want to see what happened in our Bible you want to see what happened? They began to act crazy. Look right here, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination, somebody say every inclination, every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made them and that he had put human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled, so God is feeling, even though God knows all things, God is feeling the pain of what it looks like to give people choice. So you got to understand this. God giving us a choice was a choice for him to feel pain like he had never felt before. You ever think about that? Sin costs God more than we can ever imagine because he had to watch it go down. You think it hurts you to sin. Look at the eyes of your children when you sin against them. Now how much worse do you feel? God's watching his children destroy themselves. He says, I'll wipe them off the face of the, the earth along with all the animals and all the birds and all of those things. And then he saves Noah and his children. You, know, you want to know why there's a Grand Canyon? There's only two explanations to why there's a Grand Canyon. Either that little river made that Grand Canyon a mile deep over thousands and millions of years, or God did it in 40 days and called a flood. There's only two reasons why there's mountains 30,000 feet high and cracks in our ground and earthquakes. It's either because that happened over millions and millions of years and rain erosion or God split open the deeps, as it says in the Bible, and cracked open the earth and made that thing break. I believe in Noah's flood, and that's why our world looks the way it is. And then the next thing is, y'all want to know where the different cultures came from? Because we only know, we already know there's one race, the human race. People said after the flood, even after the flood, we're going to make a tower and talk to God and tell him what we think. They wanted to go to heaven to be like, is God here? Is God here? Don't, don't, take, don't give me the manager. I want the boss. I want the owner. Is God here? Go get him, Gabriel. You go get him. That's what they thought they were going to do. They were going to march up the Tower of Babel and go, hey, I'm going to talk to you. I've got a problem with this. God looked at him and said, these people are so crazy. He cursed us again. He cursed, he had already cursed us all the times in the first chapter, cursed, uh, the third chapter rather, cursed us all the times in, in the sixth chapter. Oh, and by the way, before he flooded the world, he said they're only going to be able to live to 120. That was written, my friends, almost uh, 4,000 years ago, and none of us live in over 120 yet. Maybe you'll find a, a, just a rare one. So if the Bible was so dumb, why is that so true? 
We all capped at a certain time, right? And then at this time, he says, these people have been cursed and cursed, and they still don't listen. I've got to curse their language now. And that's why you had all the Scandinavian people go over here, and they all look white. You got the African people over here, the Asian people. Why? They were split according to language. Now, get it. It only takes genetics. If you split according to a language, and you all only have sex with each other, guess what? You're all going to look just exactly alike. How many know now with multiculturalism, uh, a Puerto Rican gets with an African, they look different. African can, gets with a white person, they look different. You just switch it up like that. But we were brought forth to all of our nations because of a curse. That's what happened. So there's only one race, the human race, and is one culture better than the rest? I think there is. I think there is. You know what culture I call it? Kingdom culture. And in the kingdom culture, it doesn't matter what race they say you are, what tribe we came from. Uh, what language we speak, the kingdom culture says we all children of God and we're born again to redeem what we have. Because you know what? I didn't get to choose the color of my skin, nor did you. We didn't get to choose, like I said, the size of our nose. My nose is getting picked on today. We didn't get to choose any of those things. But God said, I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. Can I hear an amen? Did I already say I was closing? Because I got to repent. Forgive me. Pastor don't want to lie. One more thing. Two more things. Look at this. This is the problem. Adam, would you come, please? Make him feel like I'm going to end soon, please. Here's, here's the problem. Remember we watched that video at the beginning? You know, if evil exists, God can't exist. But then there's a problem. If God doesn't exist, evil really doesn't exist either. Remember we talked about that? Let me show you from one of the scientists. Richard Dawkins wrote the book, The God Delusion, made fun of Christians throughout the whole book. He's a really smart guy. This is what he says at one place. There is no purpose. There is no evil. There is no good. Nothing but pitiless indifference. So what does the atheist believe? Is there any good? Is there any evil? Is there any indifference to what happens to you on this planet? No. Now watch what he says about our God in the Bible. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacidal, sadomistic, capriciously malevolent bully. So in other words, God is evil? Yeah, he's evil. But I thought there was no evil. Well, um, God doesn't exist because there's no evil. But before they touch it, they realize that evil doesn't exist too. You see why they're sweating so much? It's a place of folly. Don't follow the fool. Don't shake your fist at God. Follow King David. Look at what he said. Psalms chapter 14, verse 1. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. Does this sound like a fool talking to you? Can fools have educations? Yes. Can fools be in politics? Yes. Can a fool have a lot of money? Yes. And that's what a foolish person sounds like. There's no evil. There's no good. But by the way, your God is evil. And let's stop being racist. And let's stop doing this. Uh, why? Because I don't like it. But what are you? I'm an evolved ape. So why should we listen to evolved apes? Do you ever go there to the zoo and ask them for advice? Come on. Fool says in their heart there's no God. It's not like they're dumb, like they can't know things. It's like they don't understand their foundation. They say there's no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. Now watch, God makes it to all of us now because we've all been foolish before, haven't we? 
There is no one who does good. See, if we think now we got the knowledge of good and evil, we're going to figure it out. God says, you mess it up all the time. Just look at your high school yearbook and that hairdo you had. You think you right and you wrong most of the time. You are not good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. He's like, man, do any of y'all get this? He says, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus, sinner. David, sinner. Abraham, sinner. There's not one. Do all these evil doers, do all these evil doers know nothing? Listen to that question. What was the first question he asked him in the garden? Do you know where you are? And what's the question he's shouting out now? Do all evil people even know anything? Don't you know how evil you've been to each other? I remember when I was a rebellious teenager, I tried to run from those questions. And I did drugs. And I'm just telling you my story. Not everybody was as crazy as me, but I was out there. And I just remember these things gnawing at me. Like I said, it was like I was trying to hold down a ball in water and pretend I didn't hear them. I don't hear you. No, I don't, no, 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 I don't hear you. But I couldn't get past the conscience. And you may be here today feeling in your conscience you've sinned against your creator well guess what there's good news because jesus has an answer for all of us who have gone astray all of us who have done the wicked thing isaiah chapter 52 he says see my servant will act wisely he will be raised and lifted up highly exalted just as there were many who were appalled at him his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any human being marred beyond human any any human likeness this is 600 years before jesus and it's being prophesied it's remember the serpent crusher is getting talked about more he's getting talked about more and now when we get to isaiah one of the last prophets the serpent crusher that 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 one that's going to stomp on the serpent he's going to get beaten so bad you won't even recognize him but he will sprinkle many nations with his blood and the kings will shut their mouths because of him for what they were not told they will see what they did not hear they will understand when the Roman guard killed him and they saw him breathe his last breath that pagan king who knew nothing about the Jewish religion said this man must have been the son of God keep going Isaiah chapter 53 who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? See, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have fallen short, and God is reaching out his arm to the gutter to bring us back to glory. He, talking about the Messiah, will grow up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So he didn't look like, you know, Art Kelly or Babyface, or he didn't look anything like Brad Pitt. He just looked like an ordinary dude. But he was despised and rejected by mankind. You mean what we did to God as mankind? He now let us do to him. Yeah, we rejected God, and then we rejected God again. He became a man to take the punishment that we've inflicted on him because we were so evil. We killed the Son of God, y'all. That's how wicked we are. Have you ever heard the example about the person that says, Jesus, I want you in my heart? You ever heard it? No, let me tell you. So this person goes to church and they go, Jesus, Jesus, I want you in my heart. I want you to be my best friend. I want you to come and be with me and stay with me. We'll, we'll go to church together. We'll go to the work together. We'll go everywhere together. So Jesus comes with them. 
And all of a sudden, they're, they're getting a little bored at home, so they start watching a little porn, nothing wrong with it. And then Jesus comes, taps on the shoulder, says, hey, we're supposed to do something else. And they go, no, Jesus, just come on, give me some space. I mean, I want you around, but not all the time. And then they get their friends calling them up to go do something, to go spend money. And then they see Jesus. Here's Jesus. Let's go. And they say, no, Jesus, you stay here, Jesus. I don't want you to come with me. And then eventually they're about ready to do something, like go have sex with their girlfriend or or their boyfriend, or they're about ready to do something. And they say, Jesus, you stay there. You stay there. That's what we did to our Jesus. We rejected him. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. But hold on, did his pain have a purpose? Somebody say he had a purpose. Yeah, you know why? Because when he was there, he was going to take our sins and feel everything everybody's done against us. So when I talk to that person who's lost a child, I don't know what it feels like. But I can say when this man was up on that cross, my God knows what it feels like. He was despised, rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces from. We held him in low esteem. But look at it. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. So while we put him up there, he said, I'll take it for you. We considered him stricken and afflicted. But he was pierced. Look at 600 years before Jesus was ever crucified. What does it say he was? He was what? What do they do when they take the nail to your hand? They what? Pierce your hand. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He got broke down by that. He was carrying like a railroad tie, 110 pound part of the cross. He got broke down so many times that Cyrene, the man from Africa, had to carry the cross with him. But the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we were healed. He took our sickness. All the things that we've ever had gone wrong, diseases that we could say, you know, I wasn't there. I don't deserve chemo. I don't deserve cancer. But God said, yeah, it's part of the curse. But you know what? I'll take the curse for you. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He didn't try to get out of it. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He was led like a lamb to the slider as a sheep before his shearers is silent. He did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? They shouted, crucify him. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. My people. Your people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. He died with thieves, didn't he? But the rich in his death, that's Joseph of Arimathea. Rich dude put him in a grave. Yet he had done no violence, no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will for him to suffer. And though the Lord through his through him the Lord makes an offering for sin, he will see his days and he will see his offspring and prolong his days. How many know he rose from the dead? How many are a child of God now because of him, an offspring of God? After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He sits on the throne of David. He will divide the spoils with the strong. Do you know that he gives us his kingdom now? He says we are co-heirs in Christ. We get what Jesus got. We get to rule and reign with him. Because he poured his life out unto death and was numbers with transgressors. Read this in closing. One, two, three. For he bore of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on.
Come on, Jesus, the serpent crusher. Somebody shout hallelujah in this place as the band and altar workers come. Thank you, Jesus. Does anybody got another praise in them? Let's not get tired. A few more moments. Praise the Lord today. Hallelujah, Jesus.